to, to, to think about great words of advice or, or last words that people give. So I thought I'd, I'd, I'd look for some or for some significant advice. Boy, if you want to look for advice quotes on the internet, there are lots. So, you know, and you might be thinking as we go through these, if there are any words of advice that have influenced you, but I'll go through a few here. Go all the way back to old Cicero. Nobody can give you wiser advice than yourself. Or up modern days to Harry Truman, the best way to give advice to your children is to find out what they want and advise them not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Soren Kierkegaard, the great theologian, perfectly, there are all, two possible situations. One can either do this or that. My honest opinion, my friendly advice is do it or do it not. You'll regret both. And I think great by Fran Leibowitz, think before you speak and read before you think. Be advised by the people. Mark Twain, always good for quotes. Always acknowledge your fault. This will throw those in authority off their guard and give you an opportunity to commit more. <laughs> I like that one. This by, by actually a current leader of the Mormon church. I thought this was, the past is behind, learn from it. The future is ahead, prepare for it. The present is here, live it. Uh, a few more, Lou Holtz. Never tell your problems to anyone. 20% don't care, the other 80% are glad you have them. <laughs> Warren Buffett, who knows a thing or two. Most important thing to do if you find yourself in a hole is to stop digging. And then I've got several by, Anybody familiar with G.K. Chesterton? One of the most quotable guys you'll ever find. If you ever, he, he's a, he was a Brit who lived in the, uh, born around 1875 and died in the 30s, 1930s. But he was big, he was six foot four, weighed almost 300, and, almost 300 pounds. And one of my favorites is, I didn't put it here, but during World War I, a woman came up to him and says, Mr. Chesterton, why aren't you out at the front? He says, Madam, if you step to the side, you'll see that I am. <laughs> but uh, again, he wrote the Father Brown Mysteries, wrote a great book called Orthodoxy that you may have read. Uh, anyway, he's very quotable. If you read Orthodoxy, almost every page, there's a pithy quote you can pick out. It says, I owe my success to having listened respectfully to the very best advice and going away and doing the exact opposite. More Chesterson. To be clever enough to get all that money, one must be stupid enough to want it. <clears throat> The poor have sometimes objected to being governed badly. The rich have always objected to being governed at all. Uh, and this one I really like. The object of opening the mind as of opening the mouth is to shut it again on something solid. I like that. Love means, love means to love that which is unlovable or it is no virtue at all. Yeah. I, have, I had a good friend in Oklahoma who's a member of the Chesterton Society, and these people. And and I'm, I'm a, the next one I'm going to show you. I think is the best advice I've ever read written in the English language. From our friend Mr. Shakespeare, the old man Polonius is talking to young Laertes, gives him great, uh, several lines of great advice, and he closes with this, which which I've remembered since my senior year in high school. This above all else, to thine own self be true, and then it must follow as the night the day. Thou canst not be false to any, then be false to any man. That's pretty good advice. And then the final one is from a, friend, a person who I respect greatly, one of the great Christian historians taught at Yale, Yaroslav Pelikan. And this was actually made on his deathbed in the last few days of his life. His son reported this. And he said, if Christ is risen, then nothing else matters. 
And if Christ is not written, risen, then nothing else matters. I think that's just brilliant from Pelican. He's one of the great historians of Christianity, uh, written volumes of work on the history, written a great little uh, monogram called the, the Vindication of, Tra of Tradition, which is very good. <clears throat> and the pithy quote from there, which is, again, is one of my favorites. He said, tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Again, Pelican, very quotable. Anyway, those are some, some you know, if you have any, any of those you want to share or that have meant a lot to you, quotes or great advice? Again, Polonius to Laertes is hard to beat, I think. The whole, read the whole thing, it's great. Anyway. My favorite Chesterton quote is, before you tear down a fence, find out why it was built in the first place. Yeah. Chesterton, Chesterton is, one of the things I like, man, he was really an old curmudgeon. <laughs> he was, and I mean, if you, that's right. And if you read some of his stuff, he has some pretty scathing attacks on his, uh, the folks who don't agree with him. He's, he's not afraid to call them by name and tell them what he thinks of them. He's, he's an interesting old coot. So anyway, so let's go on. We're, we're going to close out Joshua now and, and uh, you know, it's, we're at the point, and, and we'll see, there, there are kind of two speeches here at the end of Joshua. Uh, one is uh, an admonition, the other is sort of a covenant renewal. But Joshua knows, you know, he's an old man. He said, I'm old and advanced in years. You've seen all that the Lord has done for all these nations for your sake. It is the Lord your God who has fought for you. He goes on how he's given the inheritance, and he mentions, you know, <clears throat> from the Jordan of the great sea in the west, the Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight and possess their land just as the Lord God promised. So he indicates God has done great things, but there's still more to be done. There's still land to be conquered. And Joshua realizes he's not going to see that. So here's his admonition. You know, here's, again, a man who's getting ready to die, probably. What? You know, what would you tell your children? Here's, here's what Joshua tells to his children, the nation of Israel. Be steadfast. Remember when we started off, be brave, steadfast, and courageous. We read that four times in the first chapter. Steadfast to observe, not just observe, and do all that is written in the book of the Law of Moses. So he said that's number one. Turning aside neither to the right nor to the left, so that you may not be mixed with these nations left here among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear to them, or serve them, swear by them, or serve them, bow down to them. Hold fast to the Lord your God, to Jehovah your God. Remember, whenever it's in all caps here, it's it's the Yahweh or Jehovah. It's God's name. So anyway, follow the law. That's that's his, his main admonition. And along with that, and we're going to talk about this in a minute. Watch out for false gods. Stay away from false gods. Why? Okay, Talk, reminds them again how the Lord's driven people out. One of you puts to fight a thousand. Since it's Jehovah your God who fights for you as he promised you. Be careful, therefore, to love Jehovah your God. If you turn back and join the survivors of the nations left there among you and intermarry with them so that you marry their women and they yours, know assuredly that Jehovah will not continue to drive out these nations. They shall be a snare and a trap for you, a scourge in your sides, thorns in your eyes, until you perish from the good land that Jehovah gave you. So in other words, 
I'm telling you this. I'm not just telling you this because it's, you know, it sounds good. There's consequences if you don't if you don't follow God. Uh, and then again, kind of if we go back before, you know, he said I'm old and well advanced in years, and, he's, and now he, he makes it even more clear. I'm about to go the way of all earth. I'm about to die. You know in your hearts, all of you, that one thing has, not one thing has failed of all the good things God promised. Uh, goes on and reminds them, will bring upon you bad things. And, you know, if you don't, you know, start here. But if just as the good things the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled, so the Lord will bring upon you all the bad things until he has destroyed you from this good land if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God. And, so, and again, serve other gods, bow down before them. So in other words, keep it up because if, if you step, fall from this, God's not going to bless you anymore. Now, let's look, okay. Just want to, when I look at this, there are a couple of things, a few things that stand out. First, the dangers of straying from the Word. And, uh, you know, when I, when I grew up, uh, there was only one bad way to stray from the Word, and that was to go this direction. Right? You know. But Joshua says, you know, that you, 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 can get, you can go too far either way. You know, it's not just a matter of, of not being uh, conservative enough or not being uh, liberal enough, he said, you know, you want to stay on the, on the straight path. You, you can go wrong either way. You know, there, there, there are pitfalls and traps either direction. So try to, you know, and it's hard for us to do. It's, it's hard for me to do. You know, when I read the Bible, uh, to read it for what God's telling me rather than reading it for what I want to see there. Anybody else have that problem? We all do. You know, they're, uh, and we're and we're influenced in that by our society, by by our own our own desires. You know, those things all influence us, and it's a temptation. You know, again, to to make create God in our image rather than be created in His image. And part of that is this: this danger of succumbing to to secular society, and for what for Joshua was a, a pagan society. Uh, and he, you know, he says, these people around you, these people you're moving close to, they can be a snare and a trap, thorns in your eyes. And he, he really emphasizes the dangers of intermarriage. Why is that? Why does, why does he come down on that so strong? Anybody here married? <laughs> well, that turns out usually to be the person you're closest to. Oh, yeah. And you spend most time with. And yeah. And... and and it's a person you're trying to please, and and that person, like it or not, probably has more influence on us than anybody else, right? Now we have more influence on them as well. So so it's you know there you know there are good things and bad things, but but Joshua, I think what he sees is we're in a society that's we're the only monotheist in this society. Everybody else is worshiping Baals or pick your God. So, you know, between having the society totally focused on, on pagan beliefs, if you go ahead and marry a wife or marry a husband that has those same beliefs, you're just really putting yourself in a difficult situation. Uh, you know, it, uh, it, I, I, you know, It'd be great to say we all are strong and can resist temptation, but 
you know, sometimes we can't. It's, and, and again, there's this, I think, deliberate emphasis on intermarriage because that's the, the closest relationship we have. It's the most intimate. That's the person who can influence us the most. So, so any more, that's kind of chapter 23. And we just really kind of hit the high points here. But you know, the, the emphasis on following, and we're going to see more of the same in chapter 24 about following God. And so chapter four, 24, I'm, I'm really going to skip over chapters 1 through, or excuse me, verses 1 through 13. Uh, we've seen this before. It's a recounting of all God's done for Israel, how he's blessed them. And then we get on to, uh, starting in verse 14, we'll look at the rest of it. And this is, this is a, if, if you've been to church all your life and you haven't heard the last line of this quoted, I don't know where you've been. So Joshua says, you know, revere Jehovah, serve him in sincerity and faithfulness, put away the gods your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt, indicating, you know, apparently during, in, in Egypt, a lot of the Israelites had, fallen prey and started serving the Egyptian gods. So you've got to put those gods away and serve Jehovah. If you're unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods the Amorites in whose land you're living, but it's for me and my household, we will serve Jehovah. We'll serve the Lord. So, you know, Joshua really brings it in here, and he, you know, he says, you, you've, got to, you've got to make a decision. And, you know, I think they're, you know, I can think, I think to several times in my life, you know, maybe not as dramatically as this, but you really kind of end up making a decision that has a big impact on your life. And you, and you have to choose who are you going to serve. Are you going to serve God? Or are you going to serve yourself? Or are you going to serve your foes? You know, follow society's dictates and those are uh, those are decisions that come to us all that maybe not as they aren't as obvious sometimes as this but they're always they're there in our lives and they're all and a lot of times there are some big moments where we make a decision that's going to influence everything we do but jo again joshua gives this correct quote as for me and my household will serve the lord all right he goes on, in a couple of verses, he makes what I, I assume to be a prophecy. And this is the verse I looked up on, on Bible Hub. When I read this, when I went over this, it says, you cannot serve Jehovah. I thought, surely that's a... <laughs> there's, got, there's got to be a, a less harsh translation than that. But I couldn't find one. He's, he, and... and make it clear I don't think Joshua here is saying you're not allowed to he's looking ahead and I think with with God's guidance he's he's leading us into the book of Judges okay he says you're not gonna be able to do it for he is a holy God he is a jealous God he will not forgive your transmissions or transmission transgressions or sins what whoa 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 I thought God always forgave. The answer is in verse 23. Yeah. I think we're getting there. Say, so, you know, forsake, if you forsake and serve certain gods, he will turn and do you harm, consume you after having done you good. Could it not say you are not going to be able to serve yeah. the Lord? Yeah. And there are, there are, 
there are some translations that say that. And I think that, that's the meaning I get from it. I, again, I see this as a prophecy. He's saying, you're not going to be able to do this. I know, you know, I've, seen, I've seen how you've acted. I've seen how you behaved. Let's see if we've got 23 on here. Uh, read 23 for us, and John. I, don't ha I didn't put it on. I have the Jewish Bible. It says, now Joshua urged, put away the foreign gods you have among you and turn your hearts to the Lord your God, the God of Israel. Yeah. In other words, they can't serve him because they still have the other gods. Yeah. It is can't. Right. I think can't may be the right word. Yeah. So they, you know, again, it gets, gets back to what we said. They've got to make a decision. And they're, Joshua apparently is seeing that they're not going to make, they're not all making that decision. So here's what the people, but the people come back, and, you know, at least in orally they give the right answer, right? Far be it from us we should forsake Jehovah to serve other gods. Jehovah our God who brought us the ancestors out of Israel, out of the house of slavery, did great signs, protected us all the way and among the peoples whom we passed. Jehovah drove out all the peoples, the Amorites. Therefore, we will serve Jehovah. So they make this commitment. But Joshua already knows that they're not going to be able to follow it. And again, I think kind of in a literary sense, he's leading us into Judges. Because what we're going to see in Judges is the repeated failure of God's people to be able to keep themselves pure, to keep them away from the influence of the society around them. You know, uh, we brushed brushed by the first 15 verses. Yeah, I did. It, it is a recounting. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you have to realize that we, just like this church here, we have constant influx of new people. Yeah. This broad variety of new people. Some have a background, some have no background. Yeah. And so we have a constant duty, like Joshua was doing, yeah. to restate and recount. Yeah. In the company and the firm I, I was with 36 years, you know, every, about every five years, there's new people. Uh, right. Every, every year we hire 20% new people. So, it, yeah. you've got to constantly state the values yeah. you stand for and, and try to build the tradition yeah. and the heritage that you want to carry forward. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, remember we've been through a period of wandering here. <coughs> and what do we know about the, of the people who left Egypt who's still alive? Yeah. 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 So anyway, you know, it's uh, we have to be. That's a really good point. Remind, you know, it's good to remember the culture with organizations. Yeah, Trish. Yeah. And he said, she says, I don't hear us doing that regularly. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I was saying, well, yeah. I'll let him know. He'll come out and listen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Sally. Um, well, and also your comment on verses 14 and 15 and the ending, you know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is a, a constant decision. I mean, we face it daily mm -hmm. but there's there's so many key times when we have to do it and we're studying this on the morning when we're honoring our high school seniors tonight and you talk about a moment when when that that is yeah the decision point for them and i, I think we 
you know, just all yeah. of us have an opportunity tonight to encourage. You know, they'll have their little their little story printed in a book, and there's a chance to yeah. sign a card on the table out front just to encourage them yeah. because this is one of those moments yeah. for them. And probably for, for most, for, for them, it's the biggest the biggest change of their lives. Yes. First time they're going to be away from mom and dad, making their own decisions. Richard. Yeah. It's it's hard to wear the Christianity out yeah. front now because there's so much economic influence and political influence against being a Christian. Right? Yeah. Against taking what you believe. Uh, and, yeah. and and we have so many different cultures now yeah. that, that that have a lot of people have immigrated to this country. Yeah. More so than when I when I was a so different now. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you have, and, and, and people are not ashamed of certain lifestyles. No. As, as it was when I was. Yeah. A, a, a youngster. Yeah. And, and it's, you can say it in government. And, oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's radically different. It's so, it's so different. And it's so, it's so challenging now. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I just, I sort of leave stuff alone. Yeah. Yeah. Stay out of those <coughs> political arguments. Yeah. Yeah. And and I I think the what I what I, I'll just tell you what I see and what I saw, you know, because I worked, you know, for, for thirty years for an oil company and I mean I had people I worked with who were Muslims, who were Hindus, or Buddhists. And 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 my perception, yeah, you know, I just tell you the folks I worked with, is you're free to state your views, but but uh to go against, to say something negative about their views was not very productive. <laughs> so, so I felt I generally felt free, you know, to, to talk about my my beliefs, but at the same time I, I treated their beliefs with respect as well, you know. Uh, and that that's just the pluralistic world we live in, you know. Uh, when I grew up in a little town in Alabama. You know, I, I didn't know anybody who wasn't some sort of Christian. Matter of fact, everybody I knew was a Protestant. It was a, I think when I was in high school, they finally built a Catholic church in a little town I lived in. I, that was something exotic, was a Catholic. Well, you know, that's just how isolated I was. And, and as isolated as that is, I mean, today, like Richard said, we, we live in a, a, a community where, where we have immigrants, we have you know, every religion you can think of, as well as what I guess sociologists call the nuns, the no religion at all folks. And, and you know, the, I think what I try to, to do is, uh, when dealing with those people, follow the golden rule. So say, if I, if, if I were this person, how would I want to be treated? And I try to, I'm going to try to treat them that way. And I, and I don't think that prevents me from telling them what my faith is and what I believe and, and why I believe it. But at the same time, I, you know, for better or worse, I try to treat their views with respect and, you know, and, and realize that we both, both may have something to learn from each other. So again, who are we going to serve? 
uh, let's go on. Now let's stop for a minute. And whenever you read Joshua and Judges, over and over, the, the, the whole thing is focused on polytheism, avoiding the worship of many gods. That, again, how, how many times, everything, almost everything Joshua says here gets back, you know, it, whether it's intermarriage or living in the society, it's you don't want to become polluted, you don't want to worship all these other gods. That's, that's the huge change that Israel is trying to affect is to, to live as monotheists, as people who believe in one God among people who live in, believe in many gods. And uh, I'll share with you, I'll, I'll go back a couple of weeks. Remember, I, <clears throat> if you are here last week, two weeks ago, <clears throat> we mentioned Hebrews 11 where it says the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sins. And I told you that my belief is that doesn't mean it can't forgive sins, but it really can't, that it just, it doesn't give us the power to stop sinning. And uh, the first place I uh, heard that view was, goodness, 40-something years ago from a former preacher at Otter Creek named John McRae. You have the old enough to remember John McRae? Yeah. Anyway, uh, one of the best Bible teachers I had at Lipscomb. And one of his specific, his specific beliefs was that the major effect of Christianity was to do away with polytheism. That it the, po the power of Christianity, he said, if you look anywhere that Christianity's gone, polytheism has just about disappeared. And he said, he said that was, he, in his belief, in his systematic theology that he put together, was, was the real power of Christianity, was to give people that ability to believe in one God and not turn back to polytheism, like these people were going to see are going to do in Judges. But it's a big deal all through the Old Testament, this battle. And uh, there are even a lot of people who will assert that the early uh, Jews, I'm trying to remember, oh, were not monotheists, but they were monol. They just worshiped one God rather than believed in one God. I don't know if I follow that, but anyway, that's. But anyway, at this point, we're trying to be a nation that believes in one God and follows one God only. And so Joshua and Judges, the big sin is always going to be polytheism, following these pagan gods. Don't you, don't, don't you think that's because the God of Joshua was a person? I mean, the description yeah. a couple back was, I'm jealous. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. This isn't a matter of yeah. a collection or yeah. options. Or, this, is, this is a personal relationship. Right. And, I'm jealous and, and it's a very different God. It's not a God we can see in the river or in the sun or in thunder. You know, th this, is, this is a God that has, you know, all these, if you look at all, most of these polytheistic gods, they're always animistic. They're symbolic of some, you know, the sun, the moon, you know, whatever. But this is a God that's, that's without form, that's, we're made in his image, but, but there's no, we can't build a statue of him, despite Israel trying, right? It's, it's, a, it's a God that's very different from all the gods that have been around before. And, you know, it's, again, if you're, if you're a pagan, if you're used to that society, you know, even, uh, you know, families had, you know, you'd have your little gods that you kept in the house. You know, little statues of your gods. And that was probably a really reassuring thing. 
And now we're, we're called to worship this invisible God that created everything around us, but we can't make an image of him. We can't have something, you know, concrete as strange as it seems to us. For these people, that was a really important thing to have that little idol, that little uh, uh, talisman. So anyway, polytheism, the battle of polytheism is the big battle. Paula? It also seems like in uh, polytheistic societies, <clears throat> the real danger was accepting God into the rest of it and deluding him by doing so. Right. They would accept yeah. it. Yeah. Matter of fact, if you go, I know, <clears throat> I don't know how it is now, but I know years ago when you'd hear about people, uh, missionaries in India, sometimes they had very great success but when people talked to the Indians that were being converted, they really had just accepted Jehovah into their pantheon. He was now, you know, well, let's, here's a new God. Let's bring him in. We'll worship him along with everybody else. So there's, you know, there was that kind of thing and exactly what we're seeing here, you know, that it's just another God. But George, you hear that today too, though. Oh, yeah. Today, that's a big phrase. I have friends who will say, well, God's in all of these religions. Yeah. And he's all the same God. They're just calling different names. Yeah. That's very prominent. Yeah, Jeff? My daughter's a church planner in New Jersey, and they've been there for about 13 years now. And that's one of the main things they have. And yeah. A lot of the religions up there are Buddha and India and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. To them, another God is a great thing. It's yeah. just another God we have to yeah. worship. So they, and you're looking at a religion that is 2,000 years old compared to a religion that is 6 or 8 or like yeah. 2,000 years yeah. old. Yeah. 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 I, I always find this very interesting to me because I try to sit and listen and say, if I didn't have the history that I have, absolutely, how would I be hearing this if I heard it for the first time? Yeah. And so while you're talking about a single God in, in New Testament Christianity, yeah. you're also talking about the Holy Spirit that operates separately. You're also talking about Jesus who operates. You're also talking about a God... Help me understand how that's not polytheistic. Right. Uh, while you're saying it's just one God, this yeah. idea of incorporating it into my belief system, I'm, I'm just sitting and trying to think. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking back on it and saying, oh, yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. If I were hearing it for the first time, I have some pretty deep empathy with these individuals yeah. going, wait a minute, that's a little... And you talk to a Muslim. They say, you know, we worship one God, you worship three. Yeah. Richard? Yeah, I, I just like to invite anybody to watch the uh, National Geographic series of Morgan Freeman. Oh, uh, uh, story, story of God, God by Morgan Freeman, yeah. Yeah. Was very yeah. Story. Uh, yeah, yeah, Morgan Freeman goes and he, he looks, he starts and starts with Jew, Christian Jew, and Jewish view of God, but then he moves to all these other religions. Uh, he should know because he's been there. <laughs> so, so, but, uh, and I'll just tell you a personal story. I had a young woman who worked for me several years ago, and and when she first came to work, she was not very religious, and she became got involved with a Christian church, and was really excited about it, and then she heard, the the moment she heard, that Christian that that church believed that Christianity was the only valid way, to approach God, she said, I'm through with it. You know, and that's 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 a uh, again for somebody as old as me who grew up being like you said being you you're in part of this all your life. That was a repugnant idea to her that this one church, as, as Paula said, would say we're the only way to God. 
She said, I'm not having anything to do with that church. So, you know, how we, how we spread the gospel, I think, has become very complex compared to what it was in my little town when I was a kid. You know, this, uh, whether we like it or not, uh, what I would refer to as sort of a postmodern worldview where, you know, truth is not absolute, but truth is very relative, is, is a predominant view that uh, my truth is just as good as your truth. Uh, and to, again, to a chemist, that's, that, that's tough. I don't... <laughs> Anyway, but, but that, that's, that's the hand we've been dealt in our society. Those, that's, the, that's the people we're dealing with. You know, we can say, uh, complain all we want about people who don't believe truth's absolute, but if we're going to reach these people, that's what we've got to deal with. We've got we've to, and, and maybe, I don't know, sometimes I think we can't reach them. But that's too pessimistic, I think. Paul? Okay. Anyway, it's, it's a tough, it's, it's just a different world than, than the world I grew up in. And I, I guess the only good news, I won't be here that much longer. <laughs> anyway, look, there, the book of Joshua closes out in, in, with the deaths of Joshua and Eliezer. Both, and, I, and both of these are guys who go back to Egypt. And so, and, and the neat thing is, we're not told just of their deaths, but we're told that they're buried, but not just them. Joseph's bones are buried at the same t- at the same in the same passage, maybe not at the same time. But we kind of wrap this whole Egypt and Exodus experience up in this in this set of burials. We start with Joseph, who was the who who took Israel to Egypt, and here are the last two guys who left Egypt, or two. Of, uh, Caleb may still be around, but. You know, we've got, we're kind of wrapping that whole Egypt experience up in this burial, which is real interesting. Have we heard of Eliezer before? Yeah, yeah, he shows up several times before. I didn't write the passages down, but if you if you, there's some other Eliezers too. But this Eliezer shows up before. Oh, he was he was the the son. He was the brother of Hophni and Phineas, who who were you know the priests who. Okay eaten up by fire, and Eliezer's the one who, he and his brother, and I can't remember his brother's name. Hmm? Anyway, he and his brother went on and took their place after they were destroyed by fire. Offering strange fire. So anyway, Eliezer, we kind of, again, we kind of wrap that whole experience around, and this, this sentence kind of closes us out. It says, Serve the Lord the days of Joshua, and the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. And, and that brings up sort of to me the, the challenge of what Hilton mentioned a while ago. <clears throat> you know, in, in an organization or any organization, you have those folks who started it. You have the folks who remembered them. But once you get past that generation, sometimes it's hard to carry the tradition on and the culture on. And that's what we're going to see in Judges. But, but the indication is here is that is when Joshua was there and when the folks who knew Joshua were still around, Israel managed to follow the Lord. And now things are going to change. So I'm going to, let, I'm going to wrap up Joshua here. We can come back if we want. Take a quick look going ahead into, into Judges. 
we talked a little bit last week, what's the relationship of Joshua and Judges? You know, are they sequential? Is there overlap, partial or full? And, and then what's the purpose of Joshua? And, you know, the purpose is, is pretty clear once you get into it. Uh, we're going to look at Israel's inability to follow God and God's willingness to redeem them. That's, that's the real message to me of Joshua. We can get more complicated if we want. And then we're going to look a little bit, I'll mention it today, is, you know, what happens immediately after Judges is we, we end up with a king. And so I think the fact that Israel seems not to be able to be, to do it on their own justifies setting up a king over Israel. There are the consequences. George, yes. Ask you one quick question yeah. this uh, verse 31. When it says, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. Mm -hmm. we, just, we just recounted for the last few weeks a host of things that we would not have said Israelites did that were following mm -hmm. Jesus at that time. So what does that mean? Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime. Who is the Israel there? The uh, leadership of the country? It, it certainly, as you have talked about before, hyperbole in some of the statements yeah. that are made uh, through there. But that's an interesting thing. Israel served the Lord after him saying to them, I know what you've been doing. You got some gods yeah. you're carrying around when you're here. You, you've got to make I, your decisions. Yeah. What I would, if, if I were just going to guess, I'll tell you, I think it indicates that the majority of the Israelites stayed focused on Jehovah. There were, I mean, there are always going to be problems. But as a nation, I think they kind of stayed on the right track. The leadership stayed on the right track, you know. Uh, obviously. Yeah, I'm thinking leadership. That's, yeah, that's I, what I'm yeah, that, didn't lose sight yeah. of where he was trying to go. Yeah. And it mentions here the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. So that, again, ties into me this idea of the leadership, that the, that the folks who are, who are leading the nation are trying to lead it on the right path. That's what I would, would guess. Yeah, yes? I think what we hear in the Bible Belt, we think America being a Christian nation, but outside the main focus of the people following what Joshua wanted them to follow, but the trend is starting to happen again, where they're starting to marry intermarry because of all the other ones that were there, and then their gods are becoming into their gods, and it's the same thing that's happening here in the United States. You know, we're, we're looking at, they lived in, uh, they lived 400 years in, um, in, in captivity, then they traveled 40 years. Now they're building their own nation, a nation that they don't even have to build. They have cities already built for them. They're moving into these yeah. cities and, and moving in like that. And uh, we're looking at the United States, what, we're 230 years old? I mean, we're just children. Yeah. And the same thing is happening now today. Yeah. Yep. Very good. Okay, just... To talk, you know, we talked about last week is you know do these things overlap, and we could look at a lot of different passages, but this is one that I think shows it pretty clearly. This is almost word for word Joshua 15 and Judges uh, 1, an account of the attack of Debir, and, and until you get to the last sentence, they're almost exactly word for word the same. And we get down here. Uh, so, you know, she says, give me a present of the land. Give me springs of water as well. Over here, she, said, she's, she names the spring. She says, give me 
Gulath Maim. So Caleb gave her upper and Gulath and lower Gulath. And here it says he gave her the upper springs and lower springs. So there are, again, two accounts in the two books that are just word for word the same. So it's obvious to me there's some overlap of these books. You know, they're, they're not independent. They're, they're telling some of the same stories in different ways. Okay. So let's go. I want to talk about the idea of a king briefly. We, we probably won't come back to this much, but like I said, you know, Israel is going to eventually fall back on the idea of a king. And that it's not going to work that well either. <laughs> but anyway, we're going to before. So God's vision for Israel is what? The Lord is their God is with them, acclaimed as a king among them. That's, I think, pretty clearly God's intent. That he's going to be Israel's king. He's going to be the sovereign. He's the ruler. That's his desire for the nation. But he makes accommodation. We go over to Deuteronomy and, and spells out, when you've come into the land the Lord God is giving you, taking possession of it, settle it, you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set over you a king whom the Lord your God will choose. He goes on and says, it has to be one in your community. It can't be a foreigner. He goes on to say, uh, he can't get ho many horses for himself or return, the return to Egypt to get more horses. Uh, the Lord says, and then you get to this sentence, he may not acquire many wives for himself. Well, how, how did Solomon do on that one? <laughs> you know, we're going to put in a king, and we're not going into 1 Samuel but if we did, we'd see that the kings pretty quickly revert to being kings like the kings around them rather than the king that God specifies. Notice he said, not many wives or else his heart will turn away. Also, silver and gold he must not acquire in great quantity for himself. It says, when you taken the throne of the kingdom, have a copy of the law written for him in the presence of the Levitical priest. It will remain with him. He shall read it all the days of his life. So may he fear the Lord his God. Observing the words of the law and the statutes, neither exalting himself among the other members of the community or turning aside from the commandment either to the right or left, so he and his descendants may reign longer over the kingdom of Israel. So God says, okay, I'm going to let you have a king when it comes to that, but I don't want you to be a king like the other kings. Yeah. And again, sure enough, we get to, to 1 Samuel. The elders come together, and Samuel... I think we can kind of see as a judge. I, I think he's fulfilling that role for Israel. He's leading Israel. And they, and then they say, you're old, your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint to us then a king given to govern us like the other nations. So Israel says, we want a king. You know, you're getting old. Your sons are apparently not uh, the best boys. So we go on. So Saul goes to, you know, his response, it's interesting, it's not, to, not to appoint a king. He first goes to God. And God says, God says to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people and what they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. And said, so just as they have done to me from the day I brought them out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also are they doing to you. Listen, but listen to their voice only. You shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king shall reign over them. So he says, yes, you can appoint a king, but remind them of what we said back in Deuteronomy. Remind them what kind of king they're going to be. And, and God makes it clear here, Israel is rejecting my leadership. 
And what's going to be the end of it? This is our, we'll close with this. Again, all the way back in Deuteronomy now. What, what, what's going to happen? The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your ancestors have known where you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, you shall become an object of honor, a proverb, a byword among the peoples where the Lord will lead you. It's not honor. Horror. <laughs> I'm sorry, I wondered why I read that. <laughs> I thought that doesn't sound right. Thank you, Paul. So, all the way back in Deuteronomy, here's the Babylonian captivity predicted. You know, the, the writer says, you're going to get a king, here's what he should be, but in the end, this is what's going to happen. Paul. All the trouble they've had from crossing the river and or actually all the trouble they've had mm -hmm. is because they didn't do what God told them to do. Right. Go in there and get rid of every one of them. Yep. Because we're all we're referring back. We want a king like the nation. Yeah. The nations yeah. are the ones they should have got rid yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the fight that we, we've seen in Joshua, and we're really going to see it in Judges. And we'll see everything from political assassination to crazy husbands like Samson. And it's, it's, uh, Judges is an interesting book. I, think, I hope you'll enjoy it, but thanks for coming. appreciate your comments, and we'll see you next week and get into Judges in a big way.